Whitney. I'm Danielle, and we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Saqqara life. Today we are joined for a second time on the Sakara Life podcast by our dear friend and spiritual teacher, Gabby Bernstein. Gabby's written over nine books and has several New York Times bestsellers. And today we will be discussing her newest book, Happy Days, and the incredible work she's doing to help people transform their trauma into profound freedom and inner peace. Gabby was also featured in Oprah's Super Soul Sunday, and together we were actually featured in Oprah's Super Soul 100 um, as the next generation of thought leaders. I'm so happy to have her back. I love her and I know that you will love this episode as much as I did. Please join me in welcoming Gabby Bernstein. Hi, Gabby. I'm so happy to have you back for a second time on the Sakara Life podcast. Welcome. I am so happy to be back. And I was looking at a photo of us from the last time I was on the podcast. And it was right, was it right before the pandemic? I think it yeah, was. It was because yeah. we did it in person. Yeah, we were definitely in person. Yeah, I know. Well, we will be in person whenever we want now. We, it's true. And next time we record, because I'm sure there'll be a third time, which we'll try for in person. Well, I'm so happy to have you back and especially happy to talk about your new book, which I have right here, Happy Days. It was such a, a beautiful and peaceful read. Was the, Oh, really? You found it peaceful? Yeah, okay, I good. did. Because it felt like, I feel like trauma, and we'll get into this, of course, but I feel like trauma hasn't really been talked about at least in the way that you're speaking to it. Like I hear about trauma living in the body. I hear about PTSD. I don't really hear about it in terms of like mental health and what I can do. But we we always like to start off with a mission question. And last time your mission, we asked you, you know, what is your mission? And you mentioned helping people with their spiritual connection. So have, has that changed? Has it morphed? Is it the same? When And maybe speak particularly to your mission with this book too. Yeah. Well, my mission is always developing. And right now, I think my most centered mission is to help people feel safe and good in my presence. And my presence meaning through a book or through a talk, or someone who's listening right here, right now. I believe that we have been through so much as humans, just living and being a human being, but we've also been through so much, and we continue to go through so much now. And so one of the things that happens when we have traumas to our emotional state or to our physical state is that we freeze and we feel unsafe. And so my mission right now is to really create a sense of safety so that someone can know, oh, okay, 
there is a path out of this. There is hope. She's standing in that truth. And in her presence, I feel that sense of safety and security. I really felt that from your book. Like, I I felt a sense of just, uh, you talk a lot about what it means to kind of not hide. So there was a lot of like peace in that and, and realizing that not hiding doesn't have to be as scary as we make it seem. But can you talk about how you think of trauma? Like, how do you, because I think a lot of times, and you talk about this in your book, you don't even realize, like you talked about how you didn't even realize the trauma that you went through that led you to some of your issues throughout your life, whether it was with, you know, alcohol, drugs, et cetera. And I think you called yourself a workaholic too. Mm-hmm. So how do you define that? And how do you think people can notice if they don't even know? Like, how do you know what you don't know? So here we go. Peter Levine, the founder of Somatic Experiencing Therapy, which is a mind-body therapy, defines trauma in a way that I think is really profound. And he says, the trauma is the inability to be present. Mm. And so from my perspective, trauma is the, it's almost as if our soul departs when we experience Mm. some form of trauma, whether it's trauma with a big T or trauma with a small T. And a small T trauma could be as simple as, feeling like you were being bullied in high school. Big T is being abused or neglected or growing up in an alcoholic home or living through a catastrophic event, living through a war. That's a big T trauma. Small T trauma could be living through COVID, living through a pandemic, having to send your kids off to school and and not know if they're going to get sick in a way that's going to be harmful. These are small T traumas that often can go very overlooked. When we experience a trauma, we have an immediate reaction where our body almost freezes. And in, in that space of frozen energy, we disconnect from our life force. We disconnect from the presence of peace within us, the presence of connection within us, and frankly, presence in general. And so, you know, a lot of spiritual teachers are out there talking about be more present, be more present. But if you're a traumatized individual, you're constantly on the lookout for more danger. And so it's very difficult to be at ease and present when you don't feel safe in your world, when you don't feel safe in your body. And so it's really important for me to emphasize that this goes for small T and big T traumas. Small T stuff that moms and parents and children and all the folks, small T traumas even considered bullying and many children commit suicide over bullying. So trauma is trauma and we all experience it. We all experience it on different levels and some people it's, it takes more work to unwind, but we all deserve the journey of unwinding the historical reasons why we feel so stuck. And then you ask, how do you know if you're traumatized? Well, do you have sleep issues? Do you have gastro issues? Do you have headaches, migraines? Do you have reactive behaviors when you're super triggered and you don't know why you're reacting that way? Do you, you know, just to give a very compassionate example, a Will Smith moment, right? Like, I'm just seeing it from a different lens, but that's a trauma response. It's a triggered trauma response. So are you overreactive in moments? Do you get easily triggered? Are you having skin issues? Are you feeling unsafe in the world? Are you not able to breathe? Can you not sit still and meditate? Are you unable to really taste your food? I mean, really, are you not present in your life? I think everyone listening in some ways raised their hand. 
For sure. And I really like that definition of trauma because I think we all know at least the difference between a regulated and a dysregulated state. And in that dysregulated state, like I can think of a million times when I felt that way, especially with my husband (laughs) and like what it means to be presented with something that makes me like, I guess, what's the process? So for me, for an example, one of the things I'm working on is self-soothing when it comes to my husband in a dysregulated state. Like there's something about if he's not in a regulated state, it really affects me where like other people, not so much. And so I'm really working on self-soothing in that and like for me that's a trauma response on like what it means to take Mm. care of someone else or like be liable for someone else's feelings etc etc so like what are all the tools that we have in our toolkit to get from that dysregulated state to a regulated state can i dear gabby you (laughs) yeah okay why not so let's talk first and foremost it all begins with your attachment style and so we have these different attachment styles there's two different kinds but the one i'm referring to is the relationship type of attachment style and so whatever bond we experienced as a child with our parents whether it was an actual bond or was a fragmented disconnected bond really will dictate the way that we relate to others in our future, particularly in romantic relationships. But it shows up everywhere. It shows up in your partnerships, in your career, particularly any relationship that is a relationship where there's a need for a sense of safety or security. Because when we're often projecting out what we did not get from when we were children. So mm. there's different kinds of attachment styles. And I have actually something super cool I'll send you today and your listeners can go. But I have a free quiz on attachment. What is your attachment style? And mm. I'll, it's just, I'll give you all the links and everything. But what I want people to do is recognize what their attachment style is through taking this quiz. And then I give the methods on how they can self-soothe and regulate in the moment so that when they're in a regulated state, they don't have to react to the triggers of others and they don't have to react in their own triggers. And Mm. when, and yes, both parties you'd hope in a relationship could be doing the work, but that's not always the luxury that we have. So we have to begin to change our seat of safety, the safety that we dwell in so that we can experience relationships differently. And then, so we can ask for what we really need and show up for ourselves. So there's different attachment styles. One is the avoidant attachment. That's the person who's like hot and heavy early in the relationship. And then like within two weeks, they're like, I'm done. Like, who are you? Can you leave me alone? Uh-huh. That person has this belief system that they're they're the only one that can do it. They're very self-reliant. They pride themselves on being really self-reliant and not needing anyone to help them. Okay, so they really have struggle with intimacy and relationships and vulnerability is a big no-no. Then on the other side of the spectrum, there's the anxiously attached person. So the anxious attached person is like fawning and clinging and does not feel safe without that partner. And if they don't have somebody that's that connection, whether it's, and this could show up in work, it can show up everywhere. This is typically the person who might identify as codependent, like I need to save everybody else. They show up for the first date with all of their their luggage and they're like, let's move in. They're, you know, <laughs> These are the folks that will obsess and hold on and particularly hold on to relationships that aren't even good for them because they're afraid of losing the bond. And mm-hmm. then there's the attachment style 
that's a secure attachment. And that's the folks that were brought up with a sense of safety in the home, a sense of security. They were seen by their parents. They were soothed by their parents. They were taught that level of resilience. I believe that all of that our children, your children and my children, I'm saying to my child at this moment, will grow up with a secure attachment. I believe that. I watch how you parent. I know how I parent. And we're committed and devoted. And so these children will grow up secure because they feel soothed, they feel seen, they feel secure in their home, in their environment, but not just in their home, in their emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. So we all have these different attachment styles. If you want to know your attachment style, go to deargabby.com slash attachment. And then I break down how you can begin to use the attachment work to really help you navigate your relationships, but also help you soothe yourself, which is what you said, Danielle. So- This leads me to another little Dear Gabby moment for you. Okay, but do you have a question before I jump in? No. Okay, cool. This is great. So so we have these different attachment styles. They wreak havoc in our relationships. And even if you have a secure attachment, you might be in a relationship with somebody who has, has an anxious attachment style or who has avoidant attachment style, and that's really tripping you up. So it's important to know more about this. Knowledge is power. Then the other element, and a lot of this is all in Happy Days as well. All of this is broken down in the book. In addition, in Happy Days, I introduced this modality that I've recently become trained in, which is internal family systems therapy. And in IFS, the simple way of putting it is that we have all these different parts of ourselves. We're not just one mono human. We have multiple different parts. And so when your husband is in one of his triggered parts, that triggers one of your triggered parts. So his triggers, wherever he is in his trigger, activates a trigger within you that's associated with your attachment bond, right? So if he feels unsafe to you, you go into like, I have to create safety. I don't know. What do you do when he goes into a place that doesn't feel safe? Yeah, I usually either feel like it's personal, Hmm. which I know it's not. And then I feel like I need to fix it or even Mm -hmm. if I know it's not personal, there's a way in which I like had to mother my mother. And so there's a, there you go. Yeah. So like, I feel like I need to take care of him, even though that's not what he needs. So it's an anxious, it's an anxious attachment style. I'll let you take the quiz to show yourself, but it's an anxious attachment style that probably has a lot of security as well because of the bond that you've created. So it's not all anxious, right? There's a lot of security there too, but the anxious style would be like, okay, you're having a problem. I need to, one, take all of that on, internalize it. It's my fault, right? And now I have to go fix it because if I don't fix it, I'm wrong. I'm bad. I'm not good enough. I'm unlovable. I'm inadequate. And so there's this like constant battle between his triggers and yours. And then if we started to look at that whole picture as, okay, wait, he's in a part and that's activating a part of me. How can I, it's not me, it's a part of me, it's a child part of me, that's Mm -hmm. super, it's the little girl who has to save her mother, Mm -hmm. and how could I right now soothe that little girl? And so, I'm just taking what you already know, Danielle, and elevating it. Inside of us, we all have different parts. We have exiled children that are like the little girl who had to save her mom, and she's like locked under key, and we never want to talk to her. And so when she gets activated, she probably goes into like, what is it like fawning, clinging? What do you do when he, when she's activated? Um, I'd say I I take things personally. So that has like a rainbow of reactions. Like it could mean either I get mopey or I try and fix it. 
and by mopey, I mean I get into like that victim mentality of like, oh, I did that or poor me kind of thing. Like I'm in this situation and I shouldn't be. Okay, those are two good ones. So those are two different parts of you, the mopey victim and Mm -hmm. the fixer, okay? And so when you start to notice those different parts, it's really notice and then ask yourself, what do I know about those parts, right? So you know a lot. You know that the victim is the little girl who had to care for her mother and the needy is the little girl who had to save the bond so that she could feel safe and survive. So Yeah, exactly. That's what you notice it and then you know those things about it. And then the next question is, what does that part of me need right now? And so if I were to ask the mopey part, what does it need when it's in that victim place? What does that part of you need? It's a really good question. I don't know other than I will tell you that like what immediately turns off any of those like reactive parts of me is a soft loving voice and a hug. Like the minute it doesn't even matter how bad our fight gets, like if he just stops and shows Gives affection okay. and calms himself, like I can I can come back in a second. So here's the beauty. You have within you, all of us, self with a capital S. Self is calm. Self is compassionate, curious, courageous, creative, connected. All the qualities that you need from him to soothe your system, you actually have within yourself with a Mm -hmm. capital S. And so the whole model of soothing yourself really lies in the back of IFS therapy because if you can notice the trigger little girl got activated so she's moping, so the moping is protecting her from having to face the feeling, right? So Mm -hmm. moping and victim is a protector part. I notice the protector. I know that she's young. I know that she's, or I mean, she or he, whatever you think of that part. Mm Mm-hmm. And it needs, it, that part needs soothing, that part needs calm, that part needs compassion. Then the work is to really tune in and develop a direct line of communication between that part and yourself. And when I talk about self with a capital S, it's how you would speak to star. It's how you speak to your mm-hmm. son. It's how you'd care for a little child on the park who fell. And I want you to think about what would you say to that child in that moment when they felt unsafe? It's really beautiful. It's so, it's particularly moving now that I'm a mother, because I don't even know if before I was a mother, if I would have known what I needed. But now witnessing my child go through something at the park, it's like I immediately know what she needs so I can use that knowledge for myself. That's right. And it's even more than that. It's it, So this I go into depth in this in Happy Days. So if someone's interested in Understanding how they can use internal family systems therapy, obviously I'd always recommend take it further and go get an IFS therapist because it's the most transformational thing you can do. But if it's something that someone's like, I want to know how to self-soothe, I would say go read chapter seven of Happy Days and really give yourself the opportunity to start to develop what's known as a self-to-part connection. So self is your higher self, it's the God within you, it's the love within you, it's the undamaged, resourced part of you that has just it's just good, you know, all is well. And so that part is just always ready to show up. We just don't believe it's there. And so that's why chapter seven, I think, is for that person that's interested in this. 
Today, I am very excited to tell you about our latest product launch, our Super Bar Collection. We recently updated our cult favorites, Detox, Beauty, and Energy Super Bars that you all know and love to ensure that we're continuing to deliver on our commitment to providing you with the best tasting and most nutritious products on the market. These are the perfect on-the-go snack and ensure you don't have to sacrifice quality for convenience. All of these newly formulated bars focus on stabilizing your blood sugar, which as you know, because you listen to the Sakara Life podcast, is at the core of metabolic health. We have increased the protein in each bar, so it now contains 12 grams. Each bar has 40% of your fiber, which is really important for your microbiome. The sugar is has been cut in half, also a part of stabilizing your blood sugar. We have new functional ingredients, things like sea buckthorn oil that have omega-7. They're all USDA certified, no added chemicals, toxins, etc. as always. So our collection has energy. Energy bar is really delicious. It's kind of like this Mexican hot cocoa. It's like chocolate, but it has cinnamon. It contains adaptogenic mushrooms to increase energy and lower cortisol. Our Beauty bars probably have the biggest change. They went from like a strawberry kind of burst to now these ones are lemon, citrus, and poppy seed. They are so juicy and delicious. Contain sea buckthorn oil, as I was talking about earlier, enhances collagen production and hydrates the skin. And our detox bar, which if I'm allowed to have a favorite, I'd say is my favorite. It has blue spirulina that supports the detox pathways in the body and has sesame seeds, which not only add a really delicious texture to the bar, um, which is blue by the way, but also contains added calcium and vitamin E, etc. So check out the new super bars. And when you get to the website and you check out, type in podcast 15 for 15% off your purchase. It's also so interesting because I think, especially in American culture, I can't speak for other cultures, but we've been taught that these issues are just things. And, you know, if we're fortunate enough, we can go to therapy or if it's not nearly as taboo as it once was, but it's still like, oh, you know, in New York City, everyone talks about their therapist. But it's so odd to me because... I don't know what your spiritual beliefs are, but I can guess they're very similar to mine And that I think that those moments where I'm presented with an opportunity to heal, when I'm presented with an opportunity to be proactive instead of reactive, that's what it means to be alive. Like that is my connection to God. That is my sense of self, as you said, with a capital S. Like that's what we're doing here. That's like the fun work. That's the work that brings us joy. Because I can tell you it's similar to food and how we help all of our Sakaralites through this movement of realizing that like you are worthy and it never feels good when you lean into the reactive moments because you're just in that like reactive place and you end up at the same place like you started. There's no movement. There's no change. There's no growth. And that doesn't feel good. And it feels really good when you move through something or out of something or into something new. 
When you start to embody, and I can speak to this look, the book is called Happy Days, The Guided Path from Trauma to Profound Freedom and Inner Peace. And I've said this countless podcasts, there's no fucking way I would put my face on that cover if I wasn't (laughs) standing behind that message and that promise. And so one of the greatest, there's been so many modalities that I share in the book that are all about how to get to that serenity and inner peace and that there is a way out. And so you've just described what so many people experience, which is that experience of being in that hamster wheel of trigger, 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 you know, my triggers meet their triggers. And it's just parts meeting parts, protector parts meeting protector parts. But when we start to live and lead from the place of that self-energy, so you called it the God within, we could call it our higher self, spiritual presence. When we start to live and lead from that place, everything in our life changes, not because the other person changes, it's because we have changed. And yeah, often the other people in your life do change too, because in the presence of your safety, they feel safe. And so back to when you asked me, what is your mission? I want to be a presence of self-energy in the world. Because the more present I am in that centered, safe, calm, compassionate, courageous energy within myself, the more I can allow others to see their reflection in me. And that goes for every person I encounter. If you spent the day with me, Danielle, you'd be like, holy fuck, this is the nicest person I've ever met. I walk around, everyone is a sweetheart. Everyone, ever, hi, sweetheart, hi, sweetheart. Everyone, how are you today? How do you feel right now? Like, I just care so deeply about each individual's emotional experience. And by no means am I trying to take their shit on because that would be ridiculous. That would be like empathic behavior. I am shining light, not sucking in, right? So talking to the doorman, okay, man, thank you for your presence in this building. Thank you for all that you do. Just even a smile has the capacity to extend self-energy to someone. And when we live in that way, everything changes. It's so true. And we talk a lot about, at the end of the podcast, we'll do the the light work about why aren't we shining our brightest lights? Like what is holding us back? And one of the biggest reasons I'm sitting here today is because for the longest time, I associated my worth with my thinness. And that was connected to my plate and my food. And what I realize is how I shine my one of the ways I shine my brightest lights is understanding that I am worthy of nourishment, that I am worthy of feeling really good, like having my mental clarity, having energy, and that that is connected, like that inherently I am worthy of all of that. And so how that connects to food is what really transforms my life. And there was a lot of shame around my relationship to food and my body and what it represented or didn't represent. Can you talk about shame and how it's connected to trauma? Yeah, there's a whole chapter on shame in the book. (laughs) It's so cool. Like literally you mentioned, you know, anything that's related to our feelings of not being our highest and most optimal way, I cover it in the book, right? So shame is the most impermissible feeling and emotion. And it's actually the exiled part that we shut down, right? The little girl who had to take care of her mother, what's behind the reason that you run from her? The shame, 
the shame, there's a shame of I, first of all, we take on our parents' shame. We take on the shame that I wasn't cared for. I was unlovable. I was inadequate. I have to make everything right. That shame is a driving force in our lives. And so first and foremost, it's helpful, similar to the attachment styles, to understand your shame response. And there's different kinds of shame responses, okay? So one could be attack others. So you feel ashamed. So your immediate reaction is, I'm going to attack everybody else because I want to project out what I don't want to feel within. That's one shame response that I think people do in different ways. The next shame response is to attack yourself. And in your case, that's what you did, you know, attacking your body, attacking yourself physically, emotionally. And that attack of yourself is a way of temporarily anesthetizing the shame, but it's still perpetually fueled by the shame. Does that make sense? So the ways that we do it, like we attack somebody else for a moment, we feel fleeting sense of relief, but then that shame is still never resolved. Same with attacking yourself. Another form of shame is of, of responding to shame is denial. In my case, I share in this book about how I went from being a cocaine addict and then becoming a workaholic, but never understanding why, 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 what was I running from until I was 36 years old and I had a dream. And in the dream, I remembered being sexually abused as a child. And they accepted it fully wow. and completely. And that moment in time became the trajectory. I was 36 years old, now I'm 42. That became the trajectory for the rest of my life because I was committed and devoted to living to tell the stories I tell in this book. My shame response was so severe that I dissociated from the memory. So denial is a form of responding to shame. My shame and terror of that childhood trauma was so extreme that my brain literally dissociated, checked out, went somewhere else, compartmentalized it and said, go over there in that corner. There's going to be some fragmented images you see along the way. And you're going to have a lot of fucked up experiences because you're going to be running from this feeling, but it'll come out. And it came out safely and it was terrifying, but I really made the commitment to myself to go on the journey of undoing the shame response so that I could sit here with you right now and say, with no shame whatsoever, I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. I am a recovering cocaine addict. I am a recovering alcoholic. I'm a recovering workaholic. I am a fucking awesome woman. <laughs> I love you. And it takes a commitment to get to that place because we run from our shame. And yeah. so that's denial, you know. And then there's a lot of other ways that we, I go through all the different ways that we respond to shame. But understanding your shame response is a first step because really what happened for me, Danielle, and I, 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 there's a chapter called Speaking the Unspeakable. And in that chapter, I tell a story about how I'm in a training at Kripalu and I'm leading the training with two other teachers. And one of the afternoon session I was sitting in on because the other teacher was leading and she was doing a whole session on shame. And I was like, I don't have any shame. I was 36 years old. I just remembered my trauma. I'm like, I don't have any shame. Like, what could I be ashamed of? I've been a spiritual, I've written six books. I've been a spiritual teacher for a decade. I've been sober for 11 years. Like, how the hell was I not realizing I had shame? And that's how impermissible it is. We just hide it mm. and bury it. It. And in that session, workshopping with the student, I realized I was the student and I realized, recognized my impermissible shame. And so giving voice to that shame is a first step. Taking the shame away from the shame, even using the word shame is so terrifying for people. The word alone has such a powerful, fearful energy behind it. 
but let's end that stigma now and shift the shame and know that what we don't shine light on, we can't heal. So to be brave enough to look at it. And do you think shame is, like if we dig in or double click into what shame actually is, is it the fear of being imperfect? Is it the fear of judgment? Is it the fear, like what are we afraid of in shame? What are we running I, I think from? my therapist said it best. The root cause of all disturbances in our life is shame, but behind the shame is the belief that I am unlovable and inadequate. Mm-hmm. And shame is actually a neurological, it's a biological response that actually saves our lives in many instances. You know, when you walk away from your kid at the park to go give your girlfriend a hug and you're very far away from him and he looks back and he sees you and he's like, oh, mommy, and he runs to you. That's actually a shame response because it's, uh-oh, mommy's not there. I need to go get mommy, right? And that's something that's actually a biological response that keeps us very safe, Okay. But when it's extreme, when it's overactive, which all of us have overactive shame, right, then it becomes detrimental. So it's not a bad thing to need the bond. It's not a bad thing to look for safety. And when we don't get that as children, we experience a flood of shame that says, I can't get my needs met. I am not safe. I am inadequate. It must be my fault. Yeah, that's exactly it. And how do you, do you recommend that people, I know you walk through some of the meditations in your book, how do we start to, like, do we want to unearth our shame or should we just like let it happen when it's ready to present itself or should we be active about it? It's a beautiful question. What I love most about Happy Days is it's such a, that mission of I want to help you feel safe along the way is so infused in the content and in the energy of the the energy of the words and that imp- every imprint of this book is going to have that energy in it. And so what I do with my reader is I don't want to rip off the band-aid right away. And I say all along the way, you can skip ahead from this chapter or you could read this and come back in 6 years. This may be too much for you right now. It particularly, like the, the shame chapter itself, it's called Speaking the Unspeakable. It's referring to something that we've buried so deeply. And so I hold my reader's hand very, very, very gently, and I walk them very slowly through these practices. And I'm extraordinarily cautious throughout saying, if this is too much, maybe seek counsel here or come back or just do this exercise or go back to this chapter where you can do the body grounding work, whatever it is that they need so that they can feel steady along the way. And so I would say, don't face into something too fast. When I was 36 and I remembered the trauma, I knew I wanted to write Happy Days. I knew I wanted to write a book about trauma, but I knew it was going to take a while because I wasn't going to write it until I lived it. So don't start to rip the Band-Aid off and start to try to face things that are too impermissible. Go slow and trust in the slowness, right? When, When I got sober 16 years ago, my sponsor said, I wish you a slow recovery. And I was like, fuck you. And she's like, no, I want it. The more slow it is, the more slow your recovery is, the more you'll actually marinate in it. I love that. It's one of my uh, anthems in my life right now is the word grace. Yeah. And that reminds me of that word, 
just like letting it be full of grace and love and allowing it to be delicate. I think we can try and push and force. What about, I have a dear friend who I know is going through a very traumatic experience right now. What do you do if you know you're in the middle of one? Pick up my book. And it's so funny, I can say that with like the most incredible conviction. Pick up this book. When you're in the middle of a trauma, there's two things that happen. One, you feel like you're the only person in the world that's going through this. And two, you feel horrified because you don't know how to get out. So even if the person that you're talking about doesn't actually do any of the lessons in the book, but just reads it, she will walk away knowing one, she is not alone. And two, there is a plan to get out and she can do it whenever she feels ready. And she'll have the, the clear path laid before her. So it sounds like I'm just talking, oh, buy the book. I'll give her the book. Actually, please let me know what her address <laughs> is. And I'm going to send her a signed copy of this book. It's a must read for the human condition. Yeah, I feel that. And it's also, you spoke to big T and little T. And it's like, we're all going through versions of that all the time. I think what my friend's experiencing right now is like a very kind of circumstantial thing that's very much outside of her control. And she's very aware that it is traumatizing her, but she's in that like fight or flight mode. She's in survival mode. And so I just try, I'm just trying to remind her to like come back to herself and do the little things that she can to help her feel whole. Right. Like a full night's sleep, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, right. Cause you see, you start to forget even just what you need because you're not even thinking well, she's about living yourself. in a, she's living in a trauma response. And so right. the, your advice is excellent. You're suggesting get back into your body, right? Mm -hmm. Move, sleep. Sometimes when we're in such a fight flight response, one of the best ways out is through breath and movement. So moving, exercising, walking, focusing on well-being, excellent. Because that the things that you can control are the way you move, the way you eat, the way you breathe, what you focus your attention towards. And I guess I'll caveat what I'm saying about read the book. So I would say for her to read the book, but I don't don't always think that if you're in an acute trauma moment that that you may not you may or may not want to dive into a book like that. So for instance, I share a lot about postpartum depression in the book. And one of my very close friends, Rachel, just went through the same exact story as me and I held her hand through it. She literally lived my experience. I held her hand through it, got her on the medicated path. She's fully healed and healthy now and very spiritual person, really resisted the medication just like I did. And Frankly, I would have died without it, as would she have. So she's in a great space now. But then she said, okay, I'm feeling better. Do you think I should read the book now? And I said, actually, why don't you wait six or seven months? Because reading that one chapter, don't call me crazy is the chapter where I talk about mental illness because I experienced it. I said, just reading that will, will be triggering for you. And I want you to read it when you've done like a little bit more therapy around this or read the book and skip that chapter because you kind of also want to know like, am I too in the heat of this right now to go into this kind of content or am I actually looking for a solution? Am I actually looking to recognize myself and somebody else? And 
you have to ask yourself those questions. I think you'll know too. Like if you read the book, if you pick up a book like this and you're like, whoa, that's really like triggering for me. I can't handle that. Then you put it down and you come back in a year. Whitney and I get this question all the time. You just made me think of it. Like, should I start a business or I don't know what to do? And we always talk about the difference between a mission and a passion and a passion being something you just kind of happen to love. But a mission is something that moves you, that gets you out of bed, that is in service to others. And I just, you know, I've known you since we started Sakara, and I just feel like you are the epitome of a woman on a mission. And... I'm so grateful that you use like your own lived experience and transmute that into lessons for us all. It's it's really it's really beautiful. Thank you. And I I actually just really took in what you just said. A mission versus a passion. I'm going to quote you on that for the rest of my career. <laughs> what a gorgeous way to really ask yourself, is this something I should really throw my life into? Because yeah. if it's a passion, you actually often can lose the passion when you throw your life into it and it's no longer a passion. Yeah. But if it's a mission, I, you can't live without fulfilling it. Yeah. And it's bigger than you. Like there's nothing about Sakara that is about me and Whitney. It's like, if anything, it was really hard for us to put ourselves in the middle and tell our stories. Like that was part right. of our our lesson and what it meant to dig out of the shame because we've each had a lot of shame about our journeys. And then now it's all out there and there's like nothing to like, there's, there's no shame left on that part of our narrative because we made it our mission to share that. But yeah, it's like your passion. I, I, we talk about like, make that your hobby. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Side you just hustle, love doing. whatever. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't throw your life into that. Yeah. But it's so beautiful to watch how everything you've been through has led you exactly here and right it's just a thank you yeah it's just like a beautiful example of what i talk about a lot and i'm just witnessing it in you right now i find it so cool when i think about i think a lot about my predecessors so like wayne dyer and louise hay and marianne williamson and this different generation of thought leaders and spiritual teachers and wellness community and I think about how they all kind of grew up together and they were on tours together or whatever it might have been. And when I think about who my community are that I've grown with, it's you, it's Jason Wachow. It's, you know, it's like these, yeah. these like early founders in this space that we were talking about this before anyone was gluten free. And totally. Or even knew just, what plant based meant. I remember oh, that used to be the number one question we got. <laughs> or would never want to like contemplate a meditation. So Yeah, totally. It's so, yeah, exactly. What is plant-based? I really remember a lot of that. Donna Karen's <laughs> basically talking to people about Exactly. Um, Do we need to go on tour, Gabby? Is that totally. what you're getting at? I'm go I'm go <laughs> so I'm going on tour. I'm going to go on a Dear Gabby tour, which is going to be oh, fucking are? awesome. Oh, you That's amazing. Yeah, I'm going to take my podcast on tour. When do you start? Probably in... The end of the summer, maybe mostly in the and fall. all over America. Or are you going global? Probably head out to um, Australia, Canada, UK wow. at some point, but I think I'll start in the US. Yeah, Dear Gabby, Beautiful. live is what it's going to be. I love that. Mm -hmm. If all the listeners have to take away one thing to do to help them shine their lights a little brighter, what would you say? My not only my mission, but my prayer is that this book gets into the hands of as many people as possible. And 
there's a lot of people that tell people that say, like, never say that your book is for everyone. Because it, it truly isn't. Like, my book is not for everyone. It's for people who want to feel better. It's people for who want to show up for themselves. But everyone needs it. <laughs> but it's only, only going to work for someone who wants to show up for themselves. And it is my complete prayer. I almost visualize this daily in my meditation where I see angels just dropping the books into people's hands. And it's my prayer that the folks who feel that they want to establish a greater sense of safety and serenity and presence in their life and feel awesome, live with profound freedom and inner peace, that they just open the book and start to read. And even if they put the book down, just leave it on your bookcase because it'll, you'll read it when you need it. I love that. I do keep yours on my book right next oh, well, to my bed. So nice. I yours and Marion Williamson's A Return to Love. Those wow. are the two on my, the side good of my bed right there. now. <laughs> I'd love, you spoke to this earlier about what it meant to raise children, but can you speak a little more to what it means knowing that trauma is often coming from our childhood and what it means to help our kids build resilience? What happens when we read a book like Happy Days is that it's not just a journey of reparenting yourself, but in doing the work on yourself, you actually start to recognize what you want to give to your children. Because when you do the exploration of like, okay, how were my needs not met? How was my attachment bond not supported? How can I become the internal parent for myself to soothe and see myself and create a safe and secure environment? Those are the four S's that I reference in the book from Dan Siegel, the extraordinary author of many, many parenting books. So the seeing, soothing, safety, security, when you start to inquire about how you can offer that to yourself, it's inevitable that you're going to transfer that onto your children. So I think that there's a million different I've, I have definitely educated myself on the psychological benefits of, of caring for your children with this type of model of really holding a secure environment. But the most important and valuable thing you can do is to do it for yourself. Because if you don't feel safe and secure in your system, but you're doing all the things to try to make your child feel secure, it's not going to work because it's your energy that creates the security for them. Of course, your actions are very important, creating a safe home, making sure they're fed, picking them up on time, all of that. But if your energy is unreliable, then you will have a negative effect in that relationship to the child. And so it's all about you focusing on your well-being and healing and reparenting the child parts of yourself that did not get cared for. And then it'll just be extraordinarily natural for you to be that for your child. It's like parenting is the number one way to help us work through our own <laughs> our own issues so they don't show up again. Well, it's going to be the trigger to put it all in our face. And it is an extraordinary learning device being a parent. Yeah. Beautiful. Gabby, I love you. Thank you so much you. for showing up today and being yourself and for the gift of many of your books, but particularly this one right now. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Today, we're getting back to the basics of Sakara, And so we wanted to share a bit about our Sakara Signature Nutrition Program for all of those listeners that are new to us. We created this program after healing ourselves to help others feel the same transformation that we experienced through the power of food as medicine. 
This program is based on the science behind a whole food, plant-rich diet and has been crafted around our proprietary nine pillars of nutrition, which focuses on things like nutrient diversity and eating the rainbow, eating your water and getting enough sulfur-rich veggies into your diet, as well as cultivating body intelligence in order to have true mind, body, and soul transformation. The Sakara Signature Nutrition Program makes clean eating easy. It's entirely free from meat, gluten, dairy, refined sugar, pesticides, harmful chemicals, and GMOs. The menu is chef-crafted and changes weekly to highlight seasonal ingredients and recipes so you never have to sacrifice taste for eating healthy. If you're interested in learning more about our Sakara Signature Nutrition Program, head to sakara.com to see how you can customize the program to fit your needs and lifestyle. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com. And for a limited time, we wanted to give you all a gift of transformation. So use the code PODCAST20 at checkout for 20% off your first order of Sakara Life. I think so many of us are so busy these days trying to take care of the entire world around us, whether you're a busy professional or a mom I encourage you to give this gift of nutrition to yourself. You deserve to feel amazing in your body. And when you nourish yourself, then you're able to better take care of the world around you and share your special gifts with the world.